Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from Medthority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of All Things Urticaria, your UCARE podcast. UCARE, Urticaria Centers of Reference and Excellence. My name is Marcus, Marcus Mao. I'm here at the UCARE in Berlin. And today I'm super happy to have with me Leslie Rhodes and to be able to talk to Leslie about solar urticaria. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Marcus. Lovely to see you again. Same here. Would you maybe like to start by introducing yourselves to uh, to, to our listeners? Yes, um, I'm Leslie Rhodes. I'm Professor of Dermatology and Photobiology at the University of Manchester. And I practice medicine at Salford Royal Hospital in Greater Manchester, UK. Super. Thank you so much, Leslie. Well, Manchester, of course, known for many things, uh, including its fabulous UCARE there. Uh, I think they also play soccer in Manchester, not sure. But today we won't talk about the soccer in Manchester. We will talk about your experience with solar urticaria. And I want to start from the beginning because not all of our listeners are familiar with this, uh, well, rather rare form of chronic inducible urticaria. Uh, a personal question, Leslie, to start. Uh, why is that your favorite urticaria? <laughs> it's my only favorite urticaria. Basically, I come from this, uh, my direction is uh, my, my special interest in photodermatology. Mm -hmm. So I specialize in the photodermatoses, which is a large group of people um, who suffer from photosensitive disorders. And solar urticaria is one of those. Not so. Not the most common one, is it? No. What what are what are the most common diseases you see? Yeah, the, the most common is polymorphic light eruption, um, oh. which people call prickly heat. It's not prickly heat, but it's easier to say than polymorphic light eruption, which most people have very mildly. But there are more moderate and severe forms who end up coming to the hospital um, for differential diagnosis um, if they're particularly severe or they may have a complicating photodermatosis. Mm. So okay. in, in Manchester, I, I run um, uh, a supra-regional photobiology unit, which performs investigations over four days using a multiple lamps for testing, as mm. well as very detailed history and examination photographs. Um, and people come to us from about a tw uh, an area covering about 20 million of the population. Wow. So we, we do see a lot of rare photodermatoses. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm also um, conveniently running um, uh, the NIHR um, photodermatoses research program uh, in Manchester, um, part of the Biomedical Research Centre. So we're able to both research and clinically help patients and the two help each other of course absolutely we learn yes. from our patients and i want to really talk to you about your research uh, uh, and the open questions that still need to be addressed but let's go back yes. to the clinics a little bit um, i assume that you uh, see a lot of patients who know what they have and uh, they need your opinion but i think that you probably also see patients who know that something is wrong when they go out when the sun shines on their skin but do not know what is going on or what to call that. What is your um, 
let's say, uh, main approach to this? What are the questions that you really include when you talk to patients to find out what they have? Yeah, well, we, we have um, a six page questionnaire which can be extended. <laughs> so when patients come to see us, I normally explain at the beginning that um, it's a little bit like CSI, crime scene investigation, and we're trying to get to the real truth. Okay. So we want to find out, are they photosensitive? Mm -hmm. um, if so, what are they photosensitive to? What's the severity and what's the precise diagnosis? Okay. So in order to get to the precise diagnosis, you have to be quite interrogatory. Um, how much sunlight do they need to be exposed to to have the problem? Mm -hmm. What's the time interval between the light exposure and getting the problem? Then how long does it last? And how does it evolve during that time? Okay. So often when patients come, you know, they, they've been told various things or they have various ideas. And I have to usually say, let's just start by describing it because I want to hear how it is for you and how it evolves um, and then try to put that into uh, a framework. So okay. following a very, very detailed history. So it's, uh, uh, it takes me about an hour. I'm quite slow. I like to be very <laughs> thorough. Um, and then we do the light tests over four days, various we'll, light we'll, tests. We'll come to that in a minute, Leslie, yeah. but I really want to get your get your opinion on what would be the most important yeah. question to, um, to, to then guide the diagnostic testing yeah. for, for solar urticaria specifically. Yes, I, I think the timing is one of the most crucial things. How quickly, how much sunlight do they need and how quickly um the symptoms or rashes appear okay. the solar urticaria normally occurs within a few minutes five or ten minutes of sunlight exposure so a very short time of exposure and then almost immediate commencement of the rash okay um and then the symptoms really um a burning erythema burning i know with itching is also crucial but yeah. burning i would say even more so in solar rotic area okay well, that's very interesting i think i just learned something because i put a lot of emphasis on what the skin reaction looks like and in my head you know i'm really looking for patients to say i get wheels now the the, the german word is quaddle, um, but uh, you know they describe it as uh, what the skin looks like when they touch a stinging nettle just like wheels or mosquito bites now. um but we know that there are different ways of how solar urticaria manifests. And it's interesting to hear from you that you really ask for time and, and intensity um, of exposure mostly. Uh, do you require for making the diagnosis solar urticaria that there is a wheel? I know that we should because I've read from your guidelines that it, it's, I find that some patients have a wheel and flare clinically Mm -hmm. Others, they're expressing a flare. Okay. And if you looked at photographs without any history, you couldn't differentiate it from a sunburn reaction, for example. Okay. You know, redness with a sharp cutoff. No, I think I think you know um, we 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 see what uh, you describe also in other forms of inducible urticaria, where there is clearly. Um, a urticaria-like skin reaction, and the wheel may be, you know, just just 
barely there, barely palpable. Um, and I, I do think that we need to look further in these patients that don't have the classical uh, wheels uh, in exposure to their trigger. Uh, all right, cool. Can I, um, can I just say that when we test them, however, exactly. we, do, we do bring the wheel out and the yeah. wheel is perhaps more obvious than the flare. I sometimes yeah. wonder if it's a matter of dosage because when we are testing patients with, with lights, we tend to find that the flare occurs at a lower dose than the wheel. Yeah. And I'm just wondering whether patients get the flare and then they go indoors and don't wait for the wheel. Uh, who wants to wait for the wheels? No, we all know how itchy they are, burning yes. or tingling or whatever you call them. Uh, I can very well understand that patients who uh, sense that they have reached the limit of sun exposure don't make uh, the, themselves become wheely. You know? um, in, in other syndromes, we, we chronic inducible urticarias, we very much rely on not only provocation testing, but looking at uh, pictures that patients show us from when this happened in real life. And I find that in solar urticaria, this can also be helpful. Yes, I mean, photographs can indeed be helpful. Um, and, you know, the introduction of mobile phones, because I can remember <laughs> making these diagnoses before mobile phones, has made things so much easier for us. People with an intermittent disorder, it's invaluable, the photographs that patients bring and send us. Absolutely. Um, you already talked a little bit about testing. Do explain. You have fantastic uh, testing facilities where where you are. But what is essential when you suspect solar urticaria and you want to do provocation testing to confirm your suspicion? Yes. Well, basically, the, the largest test we do is monoch monochromated light testing, where we test the patient out to narrow bands of light. So ultraviolet B, several different wave bands of ultraviolet A and different wave bands of visible radiation. Okay. And we, we basically give each of those nine different wavelengths um, in horizontal rows across the back. Okay. Are, um, are, are all backs big enough to do that or do you sometimes yes. run out of space? Yeah, no, we, we, we manage, we, we have a modified regime for children. Okay. Um, and for small children, we basically do one wavelength in UVA, one in UVB, one invisible. And then if they still stay still for long enough, we might fill in with some additional rows. I was um, going to go there yeah. because, Leslie, how many other um, uh, colleagues or centers have the testing facilities that you have? I think you're, that this is unique. No? I, th I think the, the UK... Um, probably has more than other countries, but some other European countries do a fair bit of monochromated testing, but certainly, um, you know, London um, and Dundee, so okay. London, Scotland, um, we're, we're the, the largest centre in the middle of the country, um, but there's also Newcastle, Southampton. So I, I think in the UK, there is um, um, a tradition of doing monochromated testing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what would you say is essential? You know, in the end, we want our friends and colleagues in general practice, certainly dermatologists and allergists, to be able to uh, establish the diagnosis by provocation testing. What's the minimum that you have to have in order to do that? Well, we do provocation testing using two different lamps, and one's um, one emits solar simulated radiation, and the other emits broadband UVA. Now. The solar simulator, you know, it costs about 30, 35,000 pounds or <laughs> similar in euros. Okay. Um, but 
um, you know, that, that's that's not much compared with lasers, etc. I think people can still get these things, yeah. uh, but they require a fair bit of maintenance and know-how, you know, with photophysicist inputs. But the broadband UVA box was something that was specially made for us, and that was made for about a thousand uh, pounds or euros. Oh, okay. Um, but it has to be specially made, uh, sort of in, in your medical physics department. And you know, we we find there's a higher positivity rate with the solar simulated radiation, but broadband UVA is not far behind. Okay. So there there are. You know, there could be a cheaper way of doing this, but I think you need some expertise to um, recognise the responses. And you you mentioned family doctors doing it, but I, I find that most dermatologists would not be able. They don't see enough solar rotic area yeah. to um, you know convincingly diagnose it or yeah. to convincingly diagnose phototesting. Yeah, well, good for them to know that there are specialised centres uh, where this can be done. Um, I'm thinking about what we do here in Berlin, where we do UVA, um, I think it was five different uh, intensities, uh, UVB, and we use an old slide projector yes. for the visible light. Um, uh, and I thought we were okay, but maybe we have to up our game a little bit now that I've talked to you. Maybe I'll come back to you and we'll talk about what uh, is the ideal approach to being able to diagnose solar UTK area. Very helpful, super. Um, are you ever unsure once you've done the testing or is that the, the is that a clean cut where you say now we've established the diagnosis this is solar urticaria or this is not solar urticaria in other words are there any other tests or markers uh, to look for or um where you might want to go in in case of doubt yes unfortunately there aren't other good markers um we provoke about 75% of the patients that we diagnose as solar urticaria. So we will also diagnose it from a convincing history um, and, and photographs. Unfortunately, what that doesn't tell you is the action spectrum. So which wavelengths of light, which are the best sunscreens, which are the best window films. So, and it doesn't tell you the severity. Um, but we, we do diagnose it um, convincingly where there are convincing clinical okay. features. But okay. there, there are still a few patients where you need to follow up and it's not really clear what's wrong with the patient. Could it be rapid onset polymorphic light eruption? Um, you know, uh, so sometimes there's, there seem to be like a form froost perhaps and you're not mm. sure whether it's a form of solar rotocaria or something else, and then we follow up. We, we do also use daylight challenges. If we manage to get some sunlight in Manchester and it's not <laughs> raining, then, uh, <laughs> then we ask the, the, the patients and, and with the technologists to go outside and to bear a forearm um, to see if we can provoke, because it does seem that in some cases you actually need a very broad range of wavelengths used at the same time. And although a solar simulator sounds like sunlight, what it is really is solar simulated UV. So okay. you're not getting other electromagnetic radiation in there. <laughs> interesting, very interesting. Uh, Leslie, before we come to management, and I do want to talk about research with you, um, one last question on the testing. 
Um, it is difficult, I find, uh, in chronic inducible urticaria, including solar urticaria, to uh, define the severity or the disease activity in, in patients. And um, possibly the best way to do that is to ask for the threshold. You know, how strong does the trigger need to be in order to suffice to, to, to make a wheel? How, do, how does this translate in solar urticaria? What weight do you give to threshold testing to yeah. establish baseline and maybe also to monitor treatment responses? Yes, I, I, I think it's it's very important. And we've certainly um, quantified the thresholds in patients before and after treatment. You know, for example, we did that study with afamelanotide um, a little while ago, mm -hmm. um, and it gives you a good handle on how severe the patient's condition is. Okay. Also, the width, you know, you might find that they, they're only sensitive, for example, to UVB or to shorter wavelength UVA, or it's only the longer wavelengths of UVA invisible. And that then can gear you, you know, you, you might possibly, for example, try narrowband UVB hardening therapy in somebody who doesn't have UVB or short wavelength UVA sensitivity. So we find it as a very good guide to severity. And I'm also, um, when I've tried patients, I say, as well as the afamelanotide, we've, of course, used omelizumab, and we've been able to show convincing objective reduction in photosensitivity, um, which I'd like to use as a, to as a tool to convince um, those with the power to, to license these drugs for solar reticaria. You know, I, I know outdoor, real-life use of the drug is important, yeah. but I think with an intermittent disorder where the environmental stimulus is altering to to at least supplement that with the, the clinical the, the clinic based photo testing yeah. to objectively show an improvement you know i i think should be quite good evidence i i agree with you very much and you know that this is the the approach that we uh, use when we test novel treatments in other sindhus and uh, I'm, I'm happy you made that point i think it's an important message that uh, should be heard solar urticaria is a studyable disease we can develop drugs for solar urticaria because the readouts that we have to assess efficacy uh, and and uh, effects on impact of the disease they're there and we can measure treatment effects so that's very good and that brings us to treatment because Leslie I'm I'm I'll be honest with you I'm quite frustrated with my results in my solar urticaria patients no they all try sunscreen and most of them say this doesn't really work for me um, antihistamines well there's uh, every once in a while a patient who is really happy with that approach but by and large I find it rather difficult to treat um, what do you say what are your secret tips and tricks that uh, yes. you want people to know well, I mean, you know, photo protection is important. Um, so all our patients are given a, um, a session with our clinical technologists um, to learn about photo protection. For example, use of clothing with closely woven fabrics, um, how to apply sunscreens, because even dermatologists, we don't really know. Um, and you know, sometimes people say, um, rub it in well, that's the worst thing. You want it on the surface, you don't want it rubbed in well. But nobody can actually apply it as the manufacturer's test sunscreens. You know, mm -hmm. it's very thick. Um, mm -hmm. Most people apply about a third. 
So what we advise is that patients apply the sunscreen twice with a, a you know, 20 minute, 30 minute interval, because mm -hmm. that that helps to build up the thickness of the coat, which directly affects the protection and also helps to fill in gaps. You know, we've done studies with using fluorescent sunscreens and we found that even with light sensitive patients, they start off really carefully up here and as it gets down, there are more and more gaps. Um, so there's that, but also using the right sunscreen because, you know, we, we've we've um, published the largest series of photo testing in solaritic area, 100, 145 patients and 85% are sensitive to long wavelength UVA and visible light. And most sunscreens are poorly protective in that, in that, you know, even UVA protective sunscreens as you get into the longer range. Um, so we actually use what's called Dundee sun cream. It's actually made in Dundee and it has uh, large particles of titanium dioxide, which are better at protecting against visible radiation. So we try to get the sunscreen right, you know, do all the photo protection and give the patients follow on support in that regard. Um, and and then there's things like um, if it's UVA uh, sensitive, then putting UVA protection films on the windows, mm -hmm. which can be most effective on car side windows and yeah. the cheapest. You know, yeah. people are trapped in their car with the light coming through. The windscreen doesn't need it because um, that's laminated glass. Okay. Um, but so it's just the side windows. If they have particularly sunny windows at home. Or, you know, with school, it may be a matter of moving your desk away from the window because it can be difficult to coat a whole school with UV protection. You know, it depends on the circumstance. Um, and then after, after all the protective measures, yeah, well, at the same time, of course, antihistamines, you know, um, get them up to the maximum dose if if they're not um, not resolving, you know, four times the regular dose. Um, as you prescribe in your guidelines, <laughs> and uh, but but after that, really, you know, you could try ultraviolet B phototherapy mm -hmm. if they're not um, sensitive to shorter wavelength UV. But try it carefully. You know, we, we'd always just try cover the patient up and just try it on one arm, unless you could try those exact lamps, mm -hmm. you know, uh, separately. But then I, after that, severe solaritic area, I'm really reluctant to consider heavy immunosuppressive drugs, which have never been trialed in solaritic area. Um, omalizumab, um, anti-IG, monoclonal antibodies, in, in my experience, it's been very effective. Mm -hmm. uh, more effective than perhaps the literature suggests, but um, we only had one patient where it didn't work well, but the patient wasn't wasn't compliant because of the, the lifestyle. Okay. So I've found in, in you know considerable benefit. So it is sun allergy, Leslie, is it? <laughs> I, yes, I, I think I think that that is good evidence for sun allergy. Yes, I, um, if that's the way that amalizumab is working, of course it has other immunomodulatory effects. But I personally believe you know that. Uh, the IgE is very important. Ah, and now we are smack <laughs> in the middle of uh, the research that you do. Leslie, why why do people get solar urticaria? Ah, well, poof. 
if I could answer that question for sure, nobody knows for sure. And you know, the, the investigations so far are not not conclusive. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, I believe most people believe that um, certain molecules, probably circulating molecules, um, absorb light. Mm -hmm. We call those chromophores because they absorb light. And when that happens, the molecule is excited and becomes immunogenic. Um, and that, then that reacts with um, the IgE antibody on the surface of mast cell and okay. then triggers the degranulation. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that's at the heart of it, but there are lots of variables. Patients are very variable. The chromophores are variable because they're activated by different wavelengths of light. Some people only by UVB, some people only by visible. Um, and the severity and clinical presentation varies quite a lot from the typical wheels to more of a flare. So I think there are other factors influencing. Agreed, yes. The, the uh, uh, Leslie, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm sure you do. do Patients with different skin types have different rates of solar urticaria or different clinical expression of the skin reactions they get? Well, yes, looking back at our, our series, we saw we've seen solar urticaria in all skin types one to six, but very little in skin type six okay. and less in skin type five. Um, but of course, these are just the people presenting to us and sure. it depends yeah. on the, you know, the referral pattern. Yeah. Um, so it can happen across all skin types and yes. uh, I know that um, looking at or looking for the underlying causes of solar urticaria is one of the uh, key questions in yes. solar urticaria <laughs> research um, and of course that would finally be able to make us cure this disease wouldn't that be cool can we cure solar urticaria could we I think we can. I, I think we're on the brink of discovering the mechanisms of and treating a whole range of photodermatoses that in the past, you know, it was all just photoprotection, stay in, whatever. Yeah. But people's quality of life is terribly affected. You know, we, we found in our series of solar urticaria that um, um, around 70% of patients have a DLQI greater than 10, which means a very large impact on quality of life. And a, a, quite a proportion of those above 20, even up to the maximum of 30, was extremely high impact on quality of life. The patients with photodermatoses, and I see some very severe ones, the ones where I've had patients who literally were near suicidal had solar urticaria. So it's absolutely critical that we take photodermatoses in general more seriously, it's been a very underfunded area, yeah. uh, regarded as a niche area. In fact, the number of patients overall affected is large. Uh, but solar urticaria, yes, I've seen patients' lives completely transformed with with the the, the IgE monoclonal yeah. uh, antibody. Um, for example, one patient who was wearing a balaclava all of the time for going outside. Okay. You know, a young person, totally, you know, just looked like a, a robber, probably with a balaclava, um, on a Malizumav, um, climbing mountains and <laughs> surfing on the sea. Mamma mia. Yeah, that's fantastic. Leslie, yeah. 
Look, um, those are three very important messages that uh, you had just now. It is, is clearly underestimated for the impact that it has on patients, and that impact can be tremendous. And we can change the life of patients uh, by proper diagnosis and treatment. And novel treatments or discoveries are imminent, and yes. uh, the future looks very bright. Thank, thanks also in large parts due to your research and everything that you do for solar urticaria and for solar urticaria patients. Leslie, our time is up. I, I, I could do this a lot longer and maybe we will do this again uh, one point. I have so many more questions left for you, um, but we only have time for one. Well, maybe for two or two answers to the same question. Um, Leslie, if you had one thing that you wanted to tell physicians and one thing that you wanted to tell solar urticaria patients about this disease, what would that be? I think for physicians is consider the possibility of the diagnosis. Take patients seriously, you know, and it's very difficult if you're a family doctor and these things are so rare, but please refer them on to dermatologists. If somebody is, is not able to go out through sun sensitivity, don't just assume they're easy sunburners. Refer them on to dermatologists, and then dermatologists can refer them on to a photobiology unit. Um, so that, that that's the message to doctors. Um, to patients, I think there are very big advances happening at the moment, and it will oh, it will only get the future will only get brighter for them. So it's it's. Uh, much better to have solar urticaria now than it was, say, 10 years ago. Fantastic. That is a wonderful message to leave our listeners with. Uh, and I want to thank you really one more time uh, for being uh, with me today and for sharing all of your expertise and experience. Uh, it was great to have you, Leslie. Thank you very much indeed. And I look forward to talking again. Thank you. Friends and colleagues, urticaria fans and sufferers, this was a wonderful episode of All Things Urticaria, thanking Leslie Rhodes in Manchester for being with us today. Look, if you have questions that you would like us to include in one of our next episodes of All Things Urticaria, write me, call me, let me know, and we will bring this on board for now. Stay safe, be healthy, and... Um, Thanks you again, Leslie. Bye-bye to all. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website, www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.